Well, if you're wondering why I stopped and let that little video play, because I want you to understand that if you're visiting with us, we started a series, a five-week series on the book of Revelation. And if you've read the book of Revelation, you go, John, you're never going to cover everything in Revelation in five weeks. It's true. But I am going to give us an overview of some of the major themes and the major people and the uh, major applications that we can make uh, from the book of Revelation, because the word revelation means to pull back the curtain. That's what it means to reveal, to uh, illuminate, to open up our eyes to something we never would have seen on our own. It comes from a Greek word called apocalypsis, where we get the English word apocalypse. And as soon as I say apocalypse, you go, apocalypse? Apocalypse means nuclear war. I mean, it means end of the world. Well, that's part of the revealing that happened to John. He saw visions of the end of the world. And uh, spoiler alert, if you come next week, that's what we're talking about, a whole series of end times judgments that are foretold, but not today. And you go, oh, anyway, no, I want you to understand that before we get into those, there are a couple of chapters we need to look at today where we talk about what's happening in the throne room in heaven, because otherwise everything that follows won't make sense. You have to understand this. And God pulls back the curtain for John on the throne room of heaven. So point A on your outline is about 60 years after he ascended into heaven, uh, Jesus pulled back the curtain on himself, on heaven, the end times for his disciple John. Last week, he pulled back the curtain on some churches that were existing in that day, and we saw some applications on, oh, those churches in that day were a lot like the churches of this day. This applies to me. And that's important because uh, when John said this in Revelation 1, or when Jesus said that, or when John recorded this, here's why he wrote Revelation. He said, this is a revelation, an apocalypsis, a pulling back of the curtain from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that soon must take place. And he sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the last book in the Bible is when John recorded everything that he had seen that he had understood when the curtain was pulled back for him. On the churches last week, this week on the throne room of heaven, next week on some end times judgments that are, well, they're both amazing and terrifying. And you have to understand these things and we would never have understood them on our own. Now, the reason we're doing all this, there's a life application here. It's from Revelation 1-3. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy of the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. Sometimes I had somebody ask me this week, they go, is it true that a Revelation is the only book in the Bible where you get a blessing if you read it? And I go, partly true. Yes, you'll get a blessing if you read it and obey. In James chapter 1, James says, when you look at the Bible and you read it, but you don't put it into practice, then it's as worthless as walking up to a mirror and looking at yourself, and as soon as you walk away, you forget what you look like. I mean, if you walk up to a mirror and you realize you got something on your face, you should go wash your face. And when we look at the book of Revelation, we're blessed if we obey what it says. And that's why I'm doing this kind of in an overview format. And today, as we look at a curtain being pulled back on the throne room of heaven, I want us to focus on four things today that we know are true. 
and that we can obey, that everybody would agree on. I'm going to highlight some other things and tell you some, there are some things that are in this vision that John saw in heaven that we can only, there are multiple understandings of what those things might mean, and I'm going to share some of those with you today. But there are four things that I'm certain that jump out that we can all obey. Because this is what God wants us to do, and the blessing comes when we obey. Because when I get my life in line with what God wants, God is the source of joy and hope and peace and love and holiness and healing in my life. And when I get in line with him, I experience all those things. And if that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we are uh, about to jump into a couple of chapters of the Bible, Lord, that we could spend weeks on these two chapters, just diving into all the different things and what things might mean. But this morning, I, I want to focus our time on four things I'm dead certain apply to all of us so we can obey them. Lord, if you're giving us a glimpse of the future, then that means you're giving us time to get in line with you. I don't want to fight you on this. I don't want anybody here to fight you on this. And so, Lord, if you're calling us to do something, then we want to hear it. Even if it means we have to change our attitude. Even if it means we need to go make an apology to somebody. Even if it means I'm going to have to trust you in a way I've never trusted you before. So, gracious Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless our time together. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. Point B on your outline, when Jesus pulled back the curtain so John could see, he showed him the throne room in heaven. And so this is the first thing that I want to remind us of that should have an application, we'll make application on. One, there is a throne in heaven. There's a throne room and there's a throne. And there's a king on that throne. That's significant and we'll point out why. First of all, listen to Revelation 4, the first three verses. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven and the same voice that I'd heard before when we talked about last week spoke to me like a trumpet blast. And the voice said, come up here and I'll show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. And the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like Jasper and Carnelian. And the glow of an emerald encircled his throne like a rainbow. And so he saw a majestic throne. And I want to note here for us that a throne is a place of power and authority and justice and majesty and honor. The throne in heaven is far above any throne on earth. And the one who sits on the throne of heaven is sovereign over all things. And what this means is, is that no matter what's happening on earth, no matter what's happening in my life, there is a throne in heaven where God is sovereign and he is in complete control. So I don't need to be afraid. Man, I wanted an amen or a hallelujah on that. Okay, I'm going to give you a running start. I'm going to say it again. No matter what is happening in my life, no matter what is happening in this world, there is a throne in heaven where the one who sits on the throne is in control, so I don't need to be afraid. And if you want evidence for that, you can write in the margin. This is not in your outline. Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength. He's always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Going down a little further, it says, God's voice thunders and the earth melts and the Lord of heaven's armies is here among us, the God of Israel. And when Psalm 46 was written, they were celebrating the fact that no matter what was happening in this world, we could trust that God is in control. 
The prophet Isaiah said that he quoted God uh, as telling him in Isaiah 46.10, I make known the end from the beginning, from eternity past. I will tell you what's going to happen in the future. Um, from the ancient times, I'll tell you what's still to come. And I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. And so even if we don't understand current events, and even if things seem like they're going the wrong way, we remember there is a throne in heaven, God is on the throne, and he is in control. Now this must be understood before we get into all these judgments that are coming. Because when the judgments are coming on sin and evil in the world, it will seem like no one's in control, and everything's just falling apart, and you and I must understand that God is on the throne. You and I need to apply that today. When it seems like our marriage is falling apart, our kids are going crazy, or we don't, can't handle our finances, they're falling apart, our neighbor's dog barked all night, and I hate that dog, okay, or whatever it is, God is on the throne. So here's a life application for you and me. Well, first of all, let me read Psalm 103, uh, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. I mean, he's sovereign. So here's the life application. You and I must surrender control of our lives to the Lord of heaven and earth. When Jesus' disciples asked him one day, Lord, teach us to pray, and he taught him the Lord's Prayer. Well, part of the Lord's Prayer is this. It opens this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what am I praying for? I'm praying that on earth people will love God and obey him and acknowledge that he's on the throne just as the beings in heaven do. But we don't. And that's why you will see there are judgments foretold. We are not in line with him. And this is why we come to him in repentance. We are sinners. And we say, no, God, I will not go your own way. I know your Bible says thou shalt not, but for me, I want to do it. I know, God, that you're telling us this is what you want me to do, but I don't want to forgive that person. I don't care if you forgave me. I will never forgive him or her. Ever. And we say, no, person on the throne, I'm on the throne. This is sin. This is rebellion. This is what the devil tempted Adam and Eve with in the garden. Did God really say you can't eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? No, just the fruit off of that one in the middle. I'm telling you, he's holding out on you. God knows if you eat of that tree, he knows how good it tastes. It'll make you so wise. It'll make him just like him. Come on. Give it a try. You don't need to obey him. It's not like he's on the throne. He is on the throne. The question is, is he on the throne of my life? When I come to Christ, that's what it means. I repent of my sins, I repent of my rebellion, and I surrender my life to Jesus. So maybe God brought you here today because you need to be reminded that God's on the throne. You're going through some very unsettling times in your life right now. Does God know what's going on? Yeah. Can he use this for good? Bible says he can cause, he causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Can I trust him? Yeah. But I've got to surrender. 
mean, this is an application of the fact that there's a throne in heaven with a rainbow of magnificence and glory around it. A second thing that I would point out from Revelation 4 and 5 is this, that the creator God of the universe who sits on the throne is utterly holy. Utterly holy. And if you don't know what that means, we'll get to it in a minute. John goes on in the vision. Remember, he faithfully recorded what was shown to him. 24 thrones surrounded him. So there's a throne of heaven. There's 24 thrones surrounding it. And 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. Now, one of the challenges we have when we're studying uh, the book of Revelation is there are hundreds and hundreds of references to things that are laid out that are parallel or mentioned in the Old Testament. One of them is the whole idea of 24. There are 24 divisions in the priesthood. When David became king, he divided the priests who served in the Old Testament temple into 24 divisions. And so, and they were to represent the people, you know, all the different tribes too. And so people said, well, that represents that, that these are uh, people, these are faithful, these are the faithful people of God in heaven. And these 24 elders represent them. Because their robes are white, their sins have been washed away, just like we had a, a baptism. Our sins have been washed away, we've made clean. And they have a victor's crown. They have crowns on their heads. And these were like a gold medal in the Olympic Games. When you won the games, you didn't get a medal, you got a, a wreath placed on your head. That would be this. So these were people who were victorious in their life. In Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about people who are too good for this world. People who have suffered and beaten and gave up everything for Christ because they were counting on a world that was better than this one. And it's not wrong to assume that well, maybe these 24 elders represent people like this. Gold crowns on their head and surrounding the throne of the Lord, God's righteous people in heaven. And other people have speculated, well, maybe there's 24, because this represents people, faithful, God's faithful people from the Old Testament times and the New. The Old Testament times like Daniel and Elijah and Moses and New Testament times like the disciples and uh, Paul and all the, uh, Priscilla and Aquila and all the others. They were, but they would represent the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. Maybe that's where it comes from. But we're told only what we're told. But they're not the only ones there. Around the throne, from the throne came flashes of lightning and a rumble of thunder. You need to understand this too. This is the power and majesty of God. When he was given a glimpse of the throne, it's like... That was my best lightning imitation. Sorry. Thunder. And every time you see this, this is the power and majesty of God. And it reminded people, and this is an Old Testament allusion again, where uh, it's alluding to this in the Old Testament, where when the Israelites met God at Mount Sinai, when God came and met them at the mountain, the top of the mountain was covered in smoke and fire, and there was thunder and lightning. And it meant that the presence of God was there. And it was awesome. And terrifying all at the same time because it was so much power. Well, from the throne came flashes of lightning, a rumble of thunder, and in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. Seven is a number of fullness and completeness and perfection. 
And it's important we understand this. I mean, just that there are seven, the reason that that's a big deal, you'll see that over and over again, even in these chapters, but in the next weeks to come, seven is a number that represents this. It comes from Genesis 1, where God completed his creation in seven days. On the seventh day, he said, I mean, after the six days of work, he said, I'm going to rest on the seventh day. It's, it's finished. It's enough. And so seven represents completeness. This is the sevenfold spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the perfect spirit of God. And in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. And in the center around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third had a human face, the fourth was like an eagle in flight. And each of these living beings had six wings and with their wings, their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. And day after day, night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Could we read that sentence out loud together, please? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. In the series before this one, we spent... Uh, six weeks going through statements, a number of statements that Jesus made where he claimed to be, I am the same God that appeared to Moses in the burning bush. The God who always was and who is and who is to come. And the angels, the angelic beings, there are four of them. And these are magnificent angelic beings of an order that is described in the Bible at a couple of places where they surround the throne and they worship God and they proclaim his majesty and his worship and they proclaim over and over again that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who is, who was and is and is to come. He was holy in the past. He's holy now. He will be holy forever. He's holy. Now they were covered with eyes and that means that nothing escapes their attention. They see all that God does. They see all that's going on. And they give God his glory. Now, whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, in case you missed that. And they lay their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. The 24 elders, the representatives of all of God's faithful people in heaven, bow down before him and give him all honor and glory and praise because he's amazing. Now, it's important for you and me to understand that holy, holy, holy would mean sinless, perfect in goodness and righteousness and transcendent. And you go, John, you used transcendent. I was with you until you said transcendent. I'm not sure what that means. Well, transcendent simply means beyond comprehension, off scale. One of the reasons we struggle with holiness, holiness means sinless and perfect but it's the one thing that apart from Christ, we're not. I mean, it's, it's, 
we come to God as sinful people. We are a fallen, broken people. And I had even listed for you on that, re that reference from Revelation 4, 4 there. You could also see Ezekiel 1 and Isaiah 6. And Isaiah 6, when Isaiah sees four living beings around the throne and he sees the holiness of God, he just is undone. He goes, I'm undone. I, I will have to be destroyed now. I can't stand in the presence of a, I can't even see a vision of a being like this. I am unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips. My people are all of unclean lips. I, I, I shouldn't be here. When Peter was told by Jesus, throw your net over the side of the boat, and he'd been fishing all night, and Jesus told him to do it, and he did it, and all of a sudden the net was filled with fish, and when they pulled the net in the boat, it was just an amazing catch where Peter couldn't believe it. I mean, he fell at Jesus' feet, and he said, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. When we realize that we're in the presence of the Holy One, we realize we're not. He is perfect in all of his ways. And the four creatures who are around the throne, the four living beings, proclaim this day and night, holy, holy, holy. This is a God who's always been holy. He always is holy. He will be holy for, for eternity to come. The Father is holy. The Son is holy. The Holy Spirit is holy. They are set apart, sinless and perfect in all of their ways. They never err. They never do anything wrong. They always do what is right and best. The God who sits on the throne always does what's right and best. Off scale, right and best. More right, better than you could imagine, perfect. And what if you came into the presence of such a being like that? Well, it would instantly point out that we're not like that. And that's significant in just a minute here. So here's a life application for you and me, though. We can trust that the God who is sitting on the throne of heaven will always do what is right and best. Psalm 1830. All the Lord's promises prove true. He's a shield for all who look to him for protection. For who is God except the Lord? God's way is perfect. Could we say those words together, please? God's way is perfect. Now, this is important. Again, remember, chapters 4 and 5 set the stage for everything that's going to happen next week when you talk about all the judgments that will come and for the weeks that follow about heaven and about Jesus' second coming, all the things that are described in the book, we are told there is a throne and there's someone sitting on the throne, the God who's sovereign over all, and we can trust him because he is holy, holy, holy. He's always been holy. It's not like he figured it out. He learned he didn't used to be, but he is now. No, he's always been holy. He's holy now. He will be perfectly holy forever and ever. We can trust him. And if you skip over these chapters and get right into some of these judgments, you go, well, I don't, I don't know if I can trust that that's good. We can trust that God's timing is perfect, his motives are perfect, and the way he handles things is perfect. Even if we don't understand it all. I don't have to understand God to trust him. I do have to trust that he is holy and good. Thirdly, 
we'll see from this vision in a second, we'll see that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now this is significant because if the God of heaven who sits on the throne is in charge of all things is holy, holy, holy. In him there is no darkness at all. God is light. John tells us that in one of his later letters. Then how can I, a sinful person, ever have a relationship with him? Well, those of us who've been Christians for a while go, well, John, that's why Jesus came to die on the cross. He came to pay the penalty for our sins. He came to be a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the Jews would offer lambs and goats and bulls in their place. And they had to offer them over and over again. Because the animals weren't an exact substitution. And they prayed for the day. When would there ever be a day when we could stop slaughtering all these animals and sprinkling their blood on the altar and on ourselves? And when will we ever be able to be free of this? And it was told that a Messiah would come who would change things. They didn't know exactly how. And the way it happened was when Jesus died on the cross, he was a perfect sinless man, a perfect sinless lamb who died in our place. And so when John sees a glimpse of heaven and the end of the world and about what's to happen, he's reminded that the one on the throne, there is a throne, and God, the God who sits on the throne is holy and has a way been made possible for sinful human beings to be right with this, this being on the throne. Even though they're not holy, there's someone who could make them holy. That's what's coming. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. And it was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll. And it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who's worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. And then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. And so what's on the scroll? Well, I mean, there's been all kinds of theories on this too, exactly what's on there because it doesn't tell us every word that was written on it. It was just written on both sides, which meant it was packed full. But it seemed to make sense from everything we know from scripture that it would contain God's great eternal plan of how mankind and all of creation will be set free from sin and death. And this is God's eternal plan. Well, who would be worthy to open that scroll and share the plan? Well, the one who paid the penalty for our sins. Other people have suggested there are places in the Old Testament where um, people would rescue a person that had been sold into slavery. When we talked about the book of Ruth last year, or earlier this year, we talked about the fact that there would be a kinsman redeemer, someone from your family, if they were willing and able to pay the price, if you got so bad into trouble, into debt, where you had to sell all your family land and even sell yourself into slavery, if they were willing, they could come and pay the price and buy you back and return the land and set things right again. And Ezekiel, when he buys land, he gets it on a scroll that's been sealed and he signs his name on the outside. And some people said, well, that's probably what's happening here. This is the plan of how Jesus restored all things, gave up his own life on the cross to buy us back. And this is the deed. And so this is the greatest real estate deal in history right here. 
Other people have said, well, no, it's the book of life where the names of all those who've had their sins forgiven. That's what's written there. Because there's a scroll that's open later in the book of Revelation. Well, what if it's all of the above and a hundred times more? The only one worthy of any of that would be Jesus. And John was going, oh my goodness, if this is God's great eternal plan and there's no one found worthy to open it up, how will that ever take place? If this is the title deed to everything that was lost when Adam and Eve sinned and gave control over the world to the devil, well, how could it ever be restored if no one can open the scroll? If this is the scroll that contains all the names in the book of life, well, how will anyone know if no one's able to open it? And then one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He's worthy to open his scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. Now he had seven horns and seven eyes and the horns represent power and strength. And remember seven is fullness, completeness, perfection. He's perfectly strong. He was strong enough to overcome death. Well, this is Jesus. And seven eyes, we talked about all this, that perceives everything. He knew exactly how sinful we are. He knows exactly how weak we are. And he died for us anyway. And maybe you need to hear that today. If you wonder, I don't think I'm good enough to come to Jesus. Well, that's the point. You're not. We all come as filthy, rotten sinners. And the blood of Jesus makes us clean. He knows. And they represent the sevenfold spirit of God, which is sent out to every part of the earth. He stepped forward and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song because God did something new. He set something, he's setting everything right again. Bowls filled with prayers. What prayer? Well, one of the prayers in those bowls would be this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. At the end of history, God will set th all things right and everything will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. That prayer will be answered. We don't need to ever quit praying that prayer. Hmm. And they sang a new song with these words. You're worthy to take the scroll and break its seals. You're worthy to reveal God's plan to restore heaven and earth. You're worthy to buy back the whole human race from slavery into sin. You are worthy to identify all the people whose names are written in the book of life. You alone are worthy because you died and paid the penalty for the sins of the whole world and for all who will come to you. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. Man, this is good news. 
Peter talked about some of the things that we referred to here, 1 Peter 1. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. And God chose him as your ransom. And you could circle that word long before the world began. Jesus paid the ransom. For my sins and for yours. He paid the ransom in full, not with gold or silver, with his own blood. And that's why the lamb looked like it had been slaughtered because Jesus was the one who was slaughtered on the cross, but he rose again. And if you remember, when he appeared to his disciples, they could touch the nail scars in his hands and in his side where the spear had pierced him. Here's a life application for you and me. Because Jesus died in our place, we can boldly approach the throne. There is a throne in heaven. The one who sits upon the throne is sovereign over all things. He is holy, holy, holy. He's holy from the past, holy all day long, holy forevermore. We are not. How can we come to the throne? We can come to the throne because the Lamb of God, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, died in our place, paid the ransom. So now listen to this. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it most. You and I can boldly walk into the throne room of heaven. Every time we pray for things, that's what's happening. It's why we pray in the name of Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I am a sinner, but Jesus makes me holy. So now that I have been made holy, I can walk into the presence of the Holy, Holy, Holy One and without fearing his wrath or his judgment and knowing that he loves me. Now, all this must be understood before we get into the judgments that God has done everything possible to bring whosoever will come to himself. And we live in a time when that offer is available to all who will come. But as we'll talk about next week, there will come a day when that offer will end. Because all, God knows, the one who has eyes to see all things going on, knows how many people will ever come to him. And there will come a day when he will destroy evil on this world, in this world, and the devil and his angels. And that's next week. A fourth thing I want to point out to us real quickly here is that everyone in heaven loves to worship God and sing his praises. I don't know if you caught that. God's on the throne. The elders are bowing down, worshiping God, singing his praises. The lamb takes the scroll and everybody bows down and sings and worships, his, worships him and praises him. Then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, 
Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, amen, we agree. And the 24 elders fell down and they worshiped the lamb. There's a blessing if you hear the words of this prophecy and obey it. What do people in heaven love to do? They love to worship God and sing his praises. Well, why is this something important for us? Because we don't. Did you know that worship attendance in America is at an all-time low for the last 50 years? Right now. For people like y'all who are here today, the average attendance in a worship service is 1.9 times a month. We don't even make it twice. I don't know how we come from 0.9. I guess we leave 20 minutes early. I don't know how that works. Okay, but the point is, on average, 1.9 times a month for the regular attenders, for the committed folks. We don't have time to worship God. We have better things to do. And when we do come, even when we're singing praises to God, People are going to get to Chipotle before us. We're going to be in line. <laughs> Hurry it up. Well, I like going to church and stuff. I just don't like singing. Oh, you better get used to it in heaven. They do it a lot. <laughs> I mean, you know, we hear stuff like this. You've heard it too. Oh, Uncle Joe, he's up on that great big golf course in the sky. That's what he's doing all day long. Or heaven's a place where I can eat chocolate and never get fat. That's what heaven is. You know what heaven is? Heaven is God's home. And do you know what the greatest joy in heaven is? Is to stand in the presence of God, the holy, holy, holy one, and be overwhelmed by his majesty and his beauty and his kindness and his love. And to praise him. It's endless. We could praise him forever and never begin. We can't love him enough. His love for us is outrageous. I don't deserve to go to heaven, neither do you. This is the lamb who was slain for me. How could I thank him enough? Forever and ever and ever, I can't thank him enough. I mean, let this sink in. We were made to worship our holy, good sovereign and loving God. Psalm 95, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. He's our God. We're the people he watches over. We're the flock under his care. He's our maker. He made us for this. And that's why there's a warning here. If we don't worship God, we will worship someone or something else. We'll try to fill up that spot that's designed to give glory to God and we'll fill it up with entertainment or, or money or power or something. I'm going to ask our worship team to come out here. We're going to sing a song here in a minute that I want everybody to join in. I want us to sing. But before we do that, I want to have a word of prayer. I want to ask God to convince us of four things. That there is a throne in heaven and the holy, 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 perfectly good and pure and wonderful loving God of heaven is on it. I want him to convince us that we can boldly approach that throne because of what Jesus did for us.
And I want to convince us, I want him to convince us of the need to sing and praise him more than we ever have. This needs to be a priority, not a leftover. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, I don't want you to give you leftovers today. You didn't give us leftovers, you gave us your son. Father, there are rainbow colors surrounding the throne. There is lightning and peals of thunder. There's power and majesty, and we, can, we will be able to stand in your presence because of what the lamb did for us. Oh God, we need to be covered by your blood so our sins can be washed away. You are righteous and holy. We are sinful and we need your redemption. Oh God, forgive us for making so many other things a priority and not taking the time to worship you and say thank you. We can't say thank you enough. How could we ever thank you enough? How could we ever praise you enough? You're off scale. And God, forgive us for the times when we are caught up in worry and fear and doubt because we don't believe we don't believe you're on the throne. Oh God, thank you for pulling back the curtain. We pray these prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen.